Matthew chapter 21. We'll get there in a little bit so you can just keep your place there. Um, I noticed when I came to church, I forgot my tie. That wasn't purposeful. Um, it's one of those things when you get older, and those who are getting older will know what I'm talking about. You forget what you knew you were, just said you were going to do, or you, or you did something and you just forgot what you just did. I mean, I had some of those senior moments this week that was starting to worry me. But uh, so I come in, I don't have a tie, but here's what I want you to do. Picture a preacher who's ready to really preach and he pulls his jacket off and loosens his tie, maybe pulls it off and is getting ready to preach. So just think about it that way. All right, Matthew chapter 21 uh, is where I'm having you turn. You know, last week I preached a message <clears throat> that the root to doing anything for God is not found in a resolution and in our abilities and things, but or or in the power of to do anything in the flesh. But rather this, we find it in a cause. When we have a cause worth giving, a cause that's worth giving our life for. Lasting change, a great revolution in life are born from a cause greater than our own lives even. Let me put it this way. If God did not have a cause, a reason worth laying his own life and well-being for, we are all forever lost, dead in our sins, and headed for a devil's hell. His cause was to save us. He had a cause. The price was his life, the inspiration was his love for us. Hard, hard to even comprehend and understand. It's this type of cause that makes the difference. It's a cause that will keep you going when difficulty comes. It's a cause that will keep you from quitting. <laughs> Think of those in your bulletin, those statements. It's a cause that each of our children must have of their very own to stay on God's track. This church was really born out of a cause. I believe God showed me and really brought into me to see a failing church. And I heard the scriptures, you know, I'm looking for a man to stand in the gap. And I just offered myself. I felt like, in a way, like, not that I should even compare to somebody like this, but in the sense of when Moses said, I'm, you know, I'm not qualified, you know, I, I don't think I can do this, but I will, I'll offer myself. And the Lord uh, used that. You know, I shared my burden, and, and this is what's most important about this, folks. I shared my burden with Pastor Bankhead at Winchester to start a new church work. That's what I felt like God wanted me to do. The church examined my call, examined my qualifications. I had their confidence. They ordained me and confirmed my calling and sending my family out because they knew that a lot of my family was coming out of the church. That's going to be a burden. But they sent us out to start Eastside Baptist Church, whether by few or many. Regardless of what ministry God will lead us into, it's my burden to call 
together a future generation that will be committed to uphold this church in purity and practice. When you have a cause, when you answer that call, when your call is confirmed by the church, there's born a vision that must be followed to completion. There's a cause. I want you to understand the pastor and his leading and his, his cause. Paul knew what he was called to do. Paul knew when he was finished and Paul prepared Timothy to carry on the work to the next generation. It's a very interesting statement that he makes and what a challenge to each of us. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And he's talking to Timothy here. Paul is, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know, it's kind of interesting. He's pretty much telling Timothy, nobody's gonna, it sounds like nobody's going to listen to you, and they're all going away, but you just stay with it, buddy. Paul worked his ministry with a clear understanding of what his completion looked like. Our church is at the point where it needs to make a big step. It's a step whose defeat will be time. And I'll explain that a little bit later, more in detail. You may be at a point personally in your life to make a decision. It could be a decision to be saved, a decision to be baptized could be surrendering to a call of God in your life or to confess and forsake a besetting sin. It could be a family decision, a major move or project that you've been struggling with doing. Or maybe it's a business decision, a career change, or a large investment decision that you're thinking about. We all come to these points in our life that for various reasons seem huge and a large step. We come to a place before that step where we spend our time going over the same things. It's, it's natural. Don't feel bad if you're in that place. That's what we want to do as humans. Just keep going over this. We know it. We know maybe what we should do, but we just keep going over it. While the enemy of doubt comes in and delays our decision until time like a boa constrictor, begins to slowly restrict the life-giving air and inspiration of doing what you know needs to be done. I believe our church is at a point where it needs to make a big step, a step that will require a bigger facility, a bigger outreach, and a bigger personal sacrifice of ourselves to meet the vision God has called me to complete as the pastor of this church. I'll be preaching a message that I hope will encourage us to make those steps that God is calling us to do, whether from a church, from a person, from a business, whatever aspect, and maybe multiple aspects.
that you're going through in your life. When Israel went through the Red Sea, the water shifted back all night long. They could see and watch the slow progression of what was going up to opening the sea, getting confidence, a clear path for them to travel through. It was very clear. It was very safe. It was very obvious. However, at the end of 40 years, God would lead them to the brink of the Jordan River. However, those waters would not move until they made the first step. From here, I want to preach a message called, Let's Do This Thing. Let's Do This Thing. Pray. Father, as I know people and I get involved in, in the people of the church here, Lord, and, and hear their, their aspirations, and, and, and Lord, we see the need for a church, we see the needs in our children, and Lord, it takes great steps of faith to do some things. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to step forward. To know that it is you that's calling. To do it in the right way. But to step forward, not let time steal it from us. Time is slipping for all of us. I thank you for what you'll give us today. Lord, may you speak to each of our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 33, if you have your Bibles there. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 33, it says, Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, this is Jesus speaking, and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it, and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did unto them likewise. But the last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. It says, And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, he's asking these Jewish leaders here, What will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. 
Now, I realize in this parable, Jesus is talking to the religious Jews, and it's about them in the parable. I want you to listen. It's really pretty straightforward what he's saying to God is the householder. The wicked husbandman is them. The servants are the prophets. Remember Jesus said you killed the prophets before they were tried to tell and they killed them. He, Jesus, is the son who they will take outside the gate to kill. And that God will destroy the wicked husbandman and deliver his work as represented by the vineyard will be taken away from the Jews and given to the church predominantly made up of a different nation, the nation of the Gentiles. And yes, the son that they rejected has become the head of the church. Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. We can certainly make application to the church in this sense. The vehicle that God ordains has responsibility to Him. But I'm just helping... Mike, Mike's been telling us, you're just getting it a second time, <laughs> a lot of this. We see the responsibility of the churches through what I would call, as I've been kind of listening and looking and, and meditating on, on, on what's being taught, it appears like it's like a report card in Revelation 2 and 3. Now, we've had report cards before. I remember going. we've gone through all sorts of things of, of report cards. You know, you have A, B, C, D, E, F. You had, uh, what was the one? Sat S for satisfactory. N for needs improvement. O for outstanding. Oh, teacher back there shaking your head. Yeah. You know, we have all these things. But it seemed like in Revelation 2 and 3, it was either an A or an F. It seemed it was a pass or fail in various subjects that he addresses. There's no satisfactory grade or, or C average. C still get degrees. You've heard that. <laughs> it's not like he, it's either you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. It seems at least what I'm seeing there. It seems clear what he expects as the husbandman his vineyard to the Jewish religion he pronounced final judgment when, when he's talking to, this is it's judged this is what's happening in other words it wasn't like if you if you get this thing straightened out then you won't kill me you won't put me on no it's gone to the point they are judged and he passes final judgment to be moved out of the place making place for the church and the Gentile nations to get the gospel to the world. To the church he condemns and commends and exhorts them. He shows them what needs to be done to fix their grade. The whole thing is, it's like a teacher who cares enough about a student to say, come on, let's go over this. You're not doing this right. You're doing this great, encouraging, but you need to get this fixed, and this is how we can do it. This is what you need to do because... I want to see you pass. 
perhaps we could think about it this way. Say there was a basketball team who had their starting five. They got so good where they didn't think they needed a coach anymore. They started practicing on their own. Instead of running the coach's plays, they ran their own to the point where, though the coach was there, they ran the game their way when they got in. And in their eyes, they believed they were very good and successful. They came to a point like the wicked husbandmen in the parable where they will displace the ownership and leadership. It's called rebellion or being rebellious. They are called what you would call, if you've heard the term, primadonnas, primadonnas. The implication of the word is a diva. Someone who acts like they are the star of the show. You think about the Jews. That's where they were. They thought they were the star of the show. And in, in the church at Ephesus, you know, there was a very big condiment, and it all had to do because the relationship wasn't right with the authority. <laughs> Instead of that, it could remove their candlestick. It's an inward attitude, an out-of-place attitude. It's the place where Proverbs 30.21 says, For three kings, or for three things, the earth is disquieted, and four which it cannot bear. Number one, for a servant when he reigneth. And a fool when he is filled with meat. Listen to what's added on to these. For an odious woman when she is married and a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. It gets to the point of these five where the only thing the coach can do is to bench the star players, the starting five, put them on the bench and rebuild with those who are willing to follow him. His new team being called the church where Jesus is the one who is the head and the team that the team follows. That's the way it is to be. Brother Mike, while teaching through the book of Revelation, mentioned a derided group of people by Jesus called the Nicolaitans. It is a group of people that's, it, it really it isn't clearly defined in the Bible who these people are. You can, as he mentioned, you can read about some of the things and some thoughts of who that might be. One of the thoughts is that by etymology of the word, kind of pulling it apart, <clears throat> is that these people were much like the Jews of the day whose rulership lorded over the people, a hierarchy. Prima donnas, you might say. Now, it's not biblically clear who these people were, the Nicolaitans. But if they were in nature like the Jews of the day, displacing the leadership of God, going about to establish a religion of their own, you could see where Jesus would not want his church associated with any part of that. Man, that's right where the Jews would be, a point where they would totally displace. Go, listen to it. said they were going to, Kill the leader. Take, take air. Take over. God. <laughs> now I wanted you to understand the clear spiritual meaning of the complete parable. So I can by permission extract a small portion of this parable to open up a whole entire 
different message. I want to look particularly at verses 33 and 34. It says, Matthew 21, verse 33 and 34. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. Though through this verse, you will be able to see, I can maybe help, help you explain what your pastor's calling and vision is for this church, what God has called me to do. God called me to plant a church. To hedge it about with a core group of believers with hearts of conviction and dedication committed to the cause of purity. To cast a vision for producing spiritual fruit and build the facility whereby it will be processed. Then to build up a watchtower of men to oversee the work whereby others will be employed into the service of it and at the completion to go away into a far country. Place prepared for by his Father in heaven. That's it. To step forward with anything, you must be convinced that it is of God and that it is for his glory. And it doesn't matter what it is. If it's something God is working in your heart to do, and you can clearly see that the end of it is for his glory through the edification of others, it is to be followed. But there are steps to follow. There is the first step. It says that a certain householder planted a vineyard. He began something. It was something he did. It wasn't something he thought about. He planted the thing. Whether it was a seed, a sprig, I don't know much about vineyards, how, how that's done. But there is an outward step that marks the beginning of a new direction. When we started this pool barn business, we did something that just sounds crazy. I built this sign, and you guys know what it looks like. You probably have memories of it. and had some cedar in it and stuff, and said the pool barn. It was shaped like a house, and I stuck it right out there, right by that driveway. And we fixed up that barn, and we put these colorful lights in it, and built. we didn't know what in the world we were doing, really. It comes down to it in, in a large sense. But I was convinced that's what we need to do. And so I just, you step out. I'll tell you what. You want to pour some concrete? Here's what you do. You call, the, call Sardinia Concrete and order it. You'll have concrete one way or the other. You never make that call. You just talk about making that call. You never have it. You've got to start somewhere and do something. Purposes are disappointed first of all by inaction. How many people talk about the things they want to do but never make the first step to do it? You know what the answer to that is? If this comforts you any, most people are like that. If you want to be like the most people, if that's comfort where you're at, you can, you can go there. Now, I don't want to promote a foolish approach at going forward with something. There is wisdom needed in whatever it is 
that God is calling you to do. But besides not making the first step, sometimes you step in too late. Listen, sometimes there's a timing to things and there's a time and it's a, it's a limited time and you need to do it. You can miss the timing of things through procrastination. One of the things I try to encourage families as they're building their home that you have children you usually aren't in the same place uh, when you start your family, especially if you're, you're young. But at some point, now, there's always exceptions to rules. <laughs> Sometimes God calls people to, they're in the military and they're military families or called into the mission field and things are like that. But I'm talking, you know, if you're raising your family, you need to find a place at a certain age where that is home. Where that is home and plant. That's a good thing. Children do well in a place like that. You know, sometimes you could start building projects and you see where things don't even get, when they get finished, the kids are leaving. And now, think about it, the timing, you missed the timing of when the kids could enjoy it and now you got this big old place with no kids in it. Folks, I'm going to try to help you to think things through a little bit here. But the Bible also says in regards to a project, here's a warning here, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether you have sufficient to finish it. I mean, you got to have a little bit of sense, a little bit of thinking about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and where it's going to get funded. I, I've seen a few buildings, and maybe you have too, I've seen some like pole buildings go up. And the poles sit there for years. Just somebody started something that they did not have the ability to finish. This brings us to the next point. It says the householder not only planted the vineyard, but it says, but he also hedged it round about. In other words, he put some protection around it. Guess what? When you take out a loan from a bank, I want you to think about this. <laughs> they are taking a risk. But they wisely put a hedge around the investment. It's called collateral. Your stuff that they can take if you don't come up with it. They build really good hedges. You ought to learn from the banks. <laughs> It is not the plan for you to default, but if you do, they'll seize what you own and then can make you pay over time, even in bankruptcy. They know all that. They've got their hedge pretty good. That PMI insurance you pay for, where you can't put 20% down, do you know what that is? That's insurance for the bank. You pay it. You pay it in case you default so that they can go and get the insurance money for the default if they can't make their money back. They are hedged about really well. So I think it's wise to build a hedge. They take risks, banks do, but without hedging, but not without hedging the risk. Let's move on to the next point of this householder's project. Here another parable, there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about 
and digged a wine press in it. He just planted the vineyard and is already building the wine press for it. Why would he do that? What if the vineyard does not grow because there's no rain or there's a blight, anything that you know might happen that you don't see? Wouldn't it be a waste of money putting in the wine press at such an early stage? It kind of, in our minds, might seem kind of, hmm, wait a minute. I thought, you know, in the hedge theory here, maybe that doesn't make sense. It maybe seems like a violation of that principle. But let me tell you something about stepping forward with something. <clears throat> the hedging makes you to not look back. When you move forward with something, it must be propelled by sheer excitement and expectation. There's only one way to go at a project once you're in it. You've taken care of the hedge. You need all your energy into really going after what you're doing. It's the only way to work the project. It is something, if I could say it this way, that has worked even almost beyond faith in the sense it's worked on with expectation. You know, you know it's going to work. You just know it. You don't even think about it. You may even look kind of stupid in a sense from the outside world because you're just working it and loving it and know it's going to work. Let me tell you something. When you get into some, into some project, it is not going to be rosy all the way. As a matter of fact, there's going to be trouble after trouble after trouble. But what I found is that if I knew what all the problems would be before stepping into it, I'd have never done it. It's all part of the process, see. There's a certain point where, you know, you did it, you've committed to it, and you just got to do it, and you got to go through it, and you got to work at it. God's going to take care of those things. There's a lot of learning that goes into that. Without fail, when you have excitement and energy and belief, an expectation, all the obstacles get solved going through. They'll look much smaller once you're past. When you're going through them, they don't feel real great. Sure, there's a lot to learn going through something, mess-ups, failures. Wished I would have, and if only I did. That's not mistakes. That's just life, folks. <laughs> if you can't handle that, you can't handle much at all. That's all a part of success and growing and learning. I found that certain blindness is a part of every big decision. The one thing you can't afford in a project is doubt. The Bible talks about that. We are not to, to live in doubt. We are to live and work with expectations. Matthew 21, 22, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. You get that? It will happen. That's the attitude. John 14, 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And that's important. That's, that's the whole end. You better make sure what you're doing, that's the end of the thought, because that's what you can guarantee, that somehow through this, whatever you're doing, whatever God's calling you to do, it's going to result in glorifying God. If not, I'll tell you what, you better be thinking about your 
decision. Now let's move on to the next point. Matt, Matthew 21, 33, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower. <laughs> Not only does he build the wine press, he builds a big tower over these little sprigs, I guess, it's coming up. And let it out to husband and went into a far country. A tower, that is oversight. Over the whole project. That may be you. Or maybe it is someone else to oversee the project. That is why contractors exist. There really is, you know, they're expensive, but a good contractor is worth their weight, especially if you don't have the ability to do it. It is why there are CFOs and CEOs in companies. There's wisdom in someone overseeing the project. Depending on your abilities, the size of the project, what it is, and your time, it may be you that can do that, can be the overseer, can be the tower, but it may be someone else. You know, when you get saved, <laughs> what do you think about this? Guess what? God put a tower of oversight that's constantly watching over you. It's called the Holy Spirit. You need that. He knew what he was doing. Put the Holy Spirit in us. Now moving on. Matthew 21, 33, here another parable. There's a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower. And it says, and let it out to husbandmen. Any big project in life, even just life itself, you need, don't think you're a one-man show. You need the help of others. God gave us family. See, one of the worst mistakes I see with people is just refuse. I do it myself. That's what two you families know. I do it myself. I do it myself. You know? Sometimes we get like that, but it's going to take people. We're going to have to lend it out. We need help in it. God gives us churches. He gives us families. He gives us fellow workers. We will do well to have the right associations in the project. There are those who will come in to rob and steal, though. We've seen in the, in the parable. We need people of reputation in the project. We are tempted to take the easy route. I'll tell you what. Some of us are just cheap. <laughs> I'll just, you know, I can be along that line. You know, just take that. But I've learned. You know, cheap is cheap. Quality is quality. Character and quality are the utmost importance. And like the householder, we must have the strength to clean house when necessary. Sometimes things happen. You may just need to get rid of what the problem is. Finally, Matthew 21, 33, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen. And it says and went into a far country. He was able to completely leave it in good hands. The project, whatever you do, must go beyond your life and presence. It's what we call sometimes a legacy that we leave. It's called serving or the term inheritance. I'll tell you what, I'm just going to tell you something monetarily. We live better than King Solomon. 
We got heat billings, air conditioning. We got we got everything, food from all over the country. We can get anywhere, place to place like that. He couldn't. Money to do it. Because I'm talking about in our country. How did that come about? Little by little, the generation before us built and left something for us to build upon. It's a sad thing when people just want to take care of themselves and that's all the farther they can see. We read about a king and, uh, back in the Old Testament that had that, you know, as long as it's good for me in my day. No, that's wrong. We need to have a life that's beyond us that goes on to the next generation. It's putting others above yourself. But the, one of the most important things that we must pass on, because we a lot of times we get into like the financial things, and, and those are good things, you know, because they can be tools. But really the end result, we need to pass on a spiritual inheritance to the best we can. That is the most valuable thing. And that is the thing that we're losing. I see things getting better financially. People get a hold of that. But what about the spirituality? That's the most important thing we can pass on. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pianists come into play. <clears throat> what a challenge in our life. Brother Mike mentioned, what keeps us from practicing faith? Fear. <laughs> Fear of what? There's some things we just plain shouldn't do, okay? We, we just shouldn't do it. We do it for the wrong reasons. It's to, you know, I want, and that's all I can see, and that's what I want now, and those kind of things. And those are bad decisions. But when there's a good, right decision that's going to pass something on, that's going to grow something, that's going to build people up in the Lord and to, to have facilities and things to facilitate that and that's all they are. That's a wonderful thing. But sometimes we just don't make that step. It could be a spiritual step. It's just Sometimes it's just somebody needs to get saved. They need to step out and say, I need to get saved. I know it. And I just need to make that decision. You don't even need to worry about any, any hedge or anything. God's taking care of all that. You just need to trust Him. Sometimes that step of just getting something spiritually right in your life. Maybe, maybe it's being baptized. Maybe it's a besetting sin. So you just need to cry out to the Lord on it. Maybe you've gotten so far off in an area you don't even know how to get back to square one. Just fall on your knees. He's there. Whatever it is, maybe it is a project, maybe it's a business you're struggling over, you got what ifs and just concerns. Hey, if you got God on it, just make that step. It'll be all right. You're gonna, you're gonna have trouble going through it. That's part of it. But in the end, it'll be worth it.
I hope the Lord spoke to you in a, just a very special way. Uh, and uh, may the Lord guide and direct us as we work together in the church and, and in your families and in yourself personally. Um, and do what God has called. We've got only so much time. Timing's important. And I just hope I've encouraged you in the Lord this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, how you can speak to us in a special way through your Holy Spirit. He's a tower in our life, watching over us. May we take heed to the Holy Spirit in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.